I want to read the Bible a little bit because that's what we do best around here. Colossians chapter 1. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. This is going to work best if you participate. Otherwise, we're, I'm, we're just all going to struggle. Okay, Colossians 1 verse 16. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. God made things that we can see and that we cannot see. This world is made up with multiple pieces, multiple parts. Even as human beings were made up in multiple parts, body, soul, spirit. So too it is with this earth that there is the natural order of things, the, the very physical, the right here, the right now. We can see it. This is the natural seen and felt and touched world. But there's also an unseen world with thrones and kingdoms and rulers and principalities. You're like, wow, I didn't know so much was going on behind the scenes. Well, that's why we read the spe- watch the special features on the DVD. That's why we do that. This is what it says in Ephesians 6. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood and, and enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So if you've ever heard the phrase, I feel like the whole universe is working against me, what you need to know is that it's not true. It's simply the principalities and powers of darkness. So that should just give a good sense of relief. It's not the whole universe. It's just the principalities and powers of darkness that are working against you. That's fine. We can handle that because in Colossians 1.16, that first verse, it said that this whole thing, the, wor- the seen and the unseen world was created through and for and by Jesus which means that he is in charge. He's large and in charge. He's king of all kings. And even if there is other rulers or under authorities, they come under him because he already won. He went to the cross. He died on the cross that we too could have eternal life in a relationship with him in a clear pathway. And when he came back to life, he said, listen, not only am I bringing myself back to life, but I'm bringing us all back to life so we can truly live. So that you and I can truly live live. So we don't have to be nervous or worried about this unseen world or principalities or powers of darkness. But what we have to be aware of is that Jesus himself has given us some tools and weapons to deal with or work with or work through the unseen world. And I just thought there's nothing more fitting on Father's Day than talking about tools and weapons. You know, it's like I felt like that was a safe like a safe bet. Tools and weapons seems like a real Father's Day activity. And if you don't like tools or weapons, you can watch golf later today. And uh, it's going to be good uh, if you like watching golf. Early on in, uh, kids are having a party in the back. I can hear the music coming through the wall. Uh, Early on in our marriage, Des and I uh, used to go to, on every single road trip we took, we used to go to this place called Scott's Parables. It's this big Christian bookstore in Red Deer. Every single road trip, okay? Every single time. It didn't matter where we were headed. Somehow we ended up in Red Deer at Scott's Parables, even if it wasn't the right direction because, you know, happy wife, happy life. And so... We would go into Scott's Parables, and I would go to, like, music, or I'd go to the magazines, or find anything, uh, anything, and Des would go straight for the marriage section. And I'm like, she's like, what section are you in? I'm like, any other section other than the marriage section. Like, what are you, what are you saying here, dear? Like, it's been like two years. What are you saying? Like, but she just, she just, she just wanted us to be better. We didn't have, in her mind, we didn't have to be broke to get better. 
right? She just wanted to get better. In my mind, I'm like, get behind me, Satan. There's nothing wrong here. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Uh, but, you know, it's because there's this, like, there's this societal uh, stereotype that says men are the strong, silent types. You know, like, you just got to keep it all bottled up, keep all that emotion, keep all the pain, keep on the struggle. Don't let anyone else see it, because if you do, then, you know, there's going to be, like, you're going to feel weak, and people are going to know you're weak, and, you know, other strong things sense weakness. I mean, it's obviously not true. I know some pretty chatty dudes, like guys that love to talk, but I think the guys that love to talk, talk about anything other than anything important, you know? It's like, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about, you know, I've got a song going through my head that I'm not going to repeat the lyrics to. Um, (laughs) You know, they talk about anything else other than anything important. Because we can't let that out there. There's a perception of, be, of being strong. And there's also a perception that if I, if I let that stuff out, then not only will I be perceived as weak, but I will feel weak myself. And we don't want, I don't, we don't want, I'm a man. I don't want to feel weak. I want to feel strong. I'm supposed to be strong for my family. I'm supposed to be strong for my wife. I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to be this like leader type. Well, let's see what the Bible says about that in Ephesians chapter five. And this is going to get me all kinds of trouble today, but I'm, I'm just ready to go there today. Ephesians chapter five. And we're just going to look at this verse first. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, If you've been around church any length of time, you'll know that there's some verses that will come next that cause people to get a little frustrated in the 21st century Uh, because the next verse talks about submission and it talks about our roles and how this all works. And what we like to do is we like to try and explain this away by saying this is just a cultural thing. This happened in an era of time, and so there's a way that we can get around these kind of roles or stereotypes, and it's just all that it is. But the truth is we can't edit the Bible. We don't edit the Bible. So we read the Bible, and we understand it to the best of our ability. But what I want to underscore or or underline before I go any further is that the context of the rest of the verses that I'm about to read starts with this statement. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So no matter what comes next, you're like, what is about to come next? You're like, just stay tuned. No matter what comes next, the first setting or the context for everything that we're about to read or share is that in the terms of a relationship between a husband and wife, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That comes first. We submit and we defer to one another. We, we prefer one another. We, we want the other person to thrive uh, and, and to, to succeed in every area of life. And as we do that and we put them forward, we're doing it out of reverence and worship to Christ. Every single time I make that decision, I'm making a choice to worship Jesus in the way that I'm acting or behaving. So I do it out of submission to Christ. This is 22. It's going to get just fun right now. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. You see how I can see, I say this gets a little dicey. I've done some weddings and people are like, please take that Bible verse out of the wedding. And I'm like, okay, it's uh, maybe. And then you just slip it in later and it's totally fine. (laughs) But I want you to listen specifically to the very next verse. This is, so we we understand that, you know, that, that there is this, 
this order that Christ has laid out that the husband is the head of the church or the head of the, the household, the head of the family. And you're like, man, I'm really wrestling with that. It's because we're trying to put a 20 cent, 21st century lens on a timeless scriptural truth and we're trying to do it in, in the context of broken relationships and unhealthy relationships. But, but Jesus has a different way forward. But this is what it means to lead like Jesus. This is what it means in verse 25. For husbands... This means love your wives just as Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her. Real leadership looks like service and sacrifice so that everybody else around you can succeed and thrive. It means that if you're going to lead something, you're going to be the first to serve. You're the first to prefer. You're the first to honor. You're the first to make space for. You're the first to say, listen, I'm going to take the heat. I'm going to take the pressure. I'm going to take the priority. It says, as the head of the household, I'm going to walk first, and I'm going to walk into whatever situation. I'm going to lay my life down for my family. And that doesn't just mean go to work and come home because you're bringing home the bacon. Told you it was going to get dicey. It doesn't just mean that your sacrifice is when, when you go to the office. It means sacrifice means when you get home that you still have a p- space and a place for your family and for your spouse. And even though you're tired and even though it hurts and even though you just want to go to bed, that you understand for them to succeed, you need to be present. That's what leadership looks like. That's what it looks like to love like Jesus because he laid down his life with his actual life, not just with his time. You know, you might even say, well, I'd lay my wife down. Um, I'd lay my life down for my wife. I'd take a bullet for her. I just don't want to talk to her at night. <laughs> okay. I get you. I get it. But what I understand is that when leadership is involved, the leadership happens by default or by design. So when I lead my family, when, when we lead our our house, when we lead our spouses, when we leave, lead our kids, it means that that either happens either on default mode or by design, which means I have the choice to make to live my life as Christ has called us. And I want to I drop this on you. It's not my thought. It comes from Pastor Brian Houston, but it was such gold that I, had to, I knew I had to share it with you today. Can I tell you this? Leadership happens by default or by design, but listen to this. Silence is where the stronghold starts. Silence is where the stronghold starts. You might be the strong, silent type. You might be the person who just, you're just going to sacrifice for your family by carrying it and taking it all on and, and just processing it yourself. And you just carry it and you put the baggage on it and you put the worry on and you put the doubt on. You just put it all on and you're just a good soldier, like trudging through, making it through. Silence is where the stronghold starts. Silence is where the struggle starts because you take it in and you process it. But then all of a sudden it starts to set in and it starts to take root and struggle and stronghold becomes the definition definition of what's going on in the inside of who you are because you just hold on to all of it. It is possible that your default setting may be struggle and stronghold. Struggle and stronghold. But this is how we fight our battles. 2 Corinthians. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Anyone watch HGTV in here? 
Any man willing to admit it? Any man willing to admit that he likes it? Right? It's okay. It's okay. When is the next fixer-upper? <laughs> come back, Chip and Joe. Come back. But what's, what's, what's the best part of every episode? Man, what's the best part of every episode? Demo day. Demo day. Right? Demo day. That's what we're talking about. We demolish. We have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Today is demo day. We have the tools and we have the weapons to demolish powerful strongholds. But you have a divine power which is greater to demolish those strongholds. Next verse reads like this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Following Jesus sounds awesome. Demolishing strongholds and kicking butt, taking names and having captives. It really sounds better when you say it the other way, doesn't it? Uh, We get to destroy things in the name of Jesus. We get to destroy the things that are destroying us from the inside out because we refuse to let any of it out and it's eating you alive. Here's what we need to understand. Here's here's the first tool and here's the first principle and precedent that gets set in Proverbs 21. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan, that can succeed against the Lord. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. That means there is no strategy which can conquer the Lord. You know, do we have any hockey fans in here? I like to, I like to pick a winner. And uh, unfortunately, because I like the Edmonton Oilers, they have not treated me well. And so I am perennially picking a loser. Uh, our friend Johnny, who welcomed everybody at the service today, he loves the Detroit Lions, and they've been kicking him in the teeth for the last, like, 24 years. Like, it's just, it's just what happens. We like to pick winners. I want to pick a winner. I want to cheer for a winner. And the good news is God is a winner because there is no insight, strategy, or plan that can take him out. There is nothing that can defeat him. He's already won. So what we have to understand is we have not only have the tools and the weapons, but you're already on the winning team. So if you feel like you're in the midst of struggle, difficulty, or there's a stronghold that is laid up against you, you have to know that victory is yours through Jesus if you would just open your mouth. We're going to get to that in a moment. There is no wisdom, insight, or plan that can succeed against the Lord. Check this out in Acts chapter 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You're like, who sings hymns and worship songs at midnight. These guys do because they're sitting in jail. Why are they sitting in jail? They're sitting in jail because they were going about their business, reaching the city, preaching the gospel, all those things. And a little girl who was possessed by demons, who was used by slave masters as a fortune teller, walked behind them everywhere they went and said, these are servants of the most high God. These are servants of the most high God. And you're like, that's fine. It's like, an inter- it's like an introduction. Just roll the theme music and we'll just preach from there. Except everything that she, they said, she said, these are servants of the Most High God. These are servants of the Most High God. That gets annoying after a while. So Paul starts preaching and he's like, listen, I cannot deal with this anymore. So he literally casts the demon out of the little girl, sets her free, and all hell breaks loose. 
Because the people that owned her, who were using her for their own benefit, who were using and keeping a girl, a little child, in, in spiritual and literal bondage as a slave, as a moneymaker, were so mad at Paul that in a moment he set her free that they started a riot and got Paul and Silas dragged to jail. Now, because of the reputation of them and the other apostles, they didn't go to like minimum, minimum security remand center. They went all the way to maximum security prison into what is the equivalent of death row reserved for terrorists and murderers? So Paul and Silas in prison, in stocks, in the midst of murderers and the worst of the worst of the worst, start singing Sims, uh, hymns, Sims. <laughs> hymns and praises to God, which they just started singing worship songs in our language. And the prisoners were listening. Now, I think at first they're like, shut up. <laughs> but they started to listen and they started to take notice because suddenly there was an earthquake, a massive earthquake and every prison uh, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. At about midnight when they started singing worship songs and other people started listening, they recognized in the midst of the song that something powerful was about to happen. Now, the jailer who was the warden of this jail walks into the prison, sees like everything in crumble and in shambles, and he takes out his sword. He's about to commit suicide because at that day, you would take on the life, the sentence of whatever prisoner escaped. Someone has to pay the price. So if he's guarding a maximum security prison and he's got two or three murderers out on a life sentence, this guy's got two or three life sentences that he's facing. He figures his life is over anyways. He might as well end it himself because I can only imagine the type of treatment that the warden would get if he was now a prisoner in that same jail cell. And Paul says, hold on a minute. Nobody's gone. Now, what's the bigger miracle? Massive earthquake after they start singing or the fact that nobody moved? Nobody moved. Why did nobody move? Because the prisoners were listening and they understand power. And what they saw in Paul in silence was true power, the power of Jesus. And they're like, oh man, if these guys can sing and this happens, I am sticking with these guys. What the jailer found was someone he had previously beaten and condemned was literally the road to his salvation. He says, man, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to have what you have to get what you got? And his whole family, it says, came to Jesus in that moment, but no prisoner broke free. The tool and the weapon that I'm talking about today is one simple word on the screen behind me, Praise, And it is a tool and a weapon that is available for you and for me. We don't sing just because we like to hear each other sing on Sunday. We sing because Jesus says, this is my tool that I'm giving to you. And it causes things to change and it shakes things to their very core. This is your tool if you will use it. That's why Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're like, I don't know what hallowed be your name means. 
it means that Jesus, that Jesus says, it's, we're talking to the Father, that the Father is amazing. He's wonderful. He's incredible. He's excellent. He's wonderful, beautiful, powerful. What a beautiful name it is. It means that we start praying with praise. That's where we start. That's where it starts. That's where your breakthrough starts. That's where your freedom starts. It starts with praise. It says this in Psalms 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. If you want to know what the beginning of your breakthrough looks like, what the beginning of your freedom looks like, it looks like you coming with praise and thanksgiving. You're like, listen, bro, I'm just not like the singing type. Well, good thing then that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says that if we submit to one another and we, and, we, and we lay our life down for our spouse, that we're doing that out of reverence to Christ, which means every action, every choice that we make when we choose that we're going to lead our family by design and not by default, that we say, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord, that every single choice that you make is a, is a choice of worship, an act of praise and worship, that when you say, I'm putting Jesus first, I'm bringing my life into alignment, that that's an act of praise. Now, I mean, you need to open your mouth and sing the song. But you can live your life as an act of worship. We were on vacation three or four weeks ago, went into the mountains, and we jammed the whole family into a rental van, a minivan, grand caravan, you know? But every time it's from the rental car company, it's not the nice one, it's like the worst one. It's just a gift that I have. And the back tires were out of alignment and the wheel weights were off so that when you hit like 95 kilometers an hour and you're sitting near the back of the van, your ride looks like this. Because <laughs> things are out of alignment. I actually lost a half inch of teeth from chattering the whole way because things are out of alignment. So you're wondering why your life feels bumpy and there's all these kinds of things. It's because your life is out of alignment. If you want to bring your life into alignment, you want to lead your family uh, by design, not by default. We put things into the right order. Jesus first. Jesus first. Then our spouse. Then our children. Then the church. That's how it works. That's our life. That's the alignment. You're like, no, it's my children first. No, it's your spouse first. Because Scripture says, that we live in reverence for one another. We submit to one another. It doesn't say submit to your kids. You got problems with your kids. It's probably because you're submitted to your kids. We submit to our spouse, and we do that out of reverence for Christ. You're like, that's a bold thing for you to say with young children. That's true. But I also know, and I've watched, and I've read, and I know the principle of Scripture, that if I honor my wife first and I submit to her, and if if we're in alignment, that no weapon formed against me, named my manipulative children, can come between us. (laughs) So we put things into the right alignment. You know, if you think that, that, that you should put anything else over Jesus, then, then, then we've kind of missed the whole point because Psalm 22 verse 7 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. What that means is that Jesus is enthroned in the praises of his people, which means Jesus becomes king when you start to put him in the right place. He, and he moves into the throne when you begin to let go of the control and say, Jesus, I'm going to praise you because I was not made to do this on my own, but you were made to do this for me. We are made to do this together. Jesus, when I praise you, you slip back onto the throne. I slip off. You become king. I make space for you to do the things that you need to do. 
Jesus becomes enthroned in the praises of his people. If, if, if you've been running your life into the ground, just try praising him and letting Jesus be boss for a few moments. That's why we start with praise. We put Jesus into his rightful place. Isaiah 61 verse 3, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There is this beautiful exchange that happens that when we bring our praise, we bring our silent struggle, we bring the stronghold to him that freedom is found. He exchanges that, that spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise. He gives us the joy that comes in the morning, the all oil of joy. We just, we get to exchange all of those things when we come to Jesus. Des and I were driving and we were fighting aggressively, as most married people do. Now, it wasn't on the way to church, but that's when lots of fights happen. That's why we drive separately. Uh, <laughs> but we were fighting as one does with their spouse. And I was really mad. She was really mad. I mean, it could have been because we were driving in our Hyundai Elantra, and that's a reason to be mad in and of itself. <laughs> That car's gone now, thank God. Anyways, it gets to the point of the disagreement where you just can't talk to one another anymore. We're like, silence is the best medicine. Probably not, but you think it is. And so in an effort to prevent any more talking, I did what any wise husband would do. I turned on the radio and turned it up. Except that backfired on me. Because the song that was playing was a song that goes, I will exalt you. I will exalt you. I will exalt you. Oh, Lord, our God. It's like a worship song. It's like a slow jam, slow rising, eight minute worship song. And so this song is playing and I'm angry and she's angry and the atmosphere of the car is angry. The car is mad. <laughs> and then, because I'm, wired this way like there's always a soundtrack that's playing in my brain the soundtrack in my brain that shift from anger to this song and all of a sudden I'm driving and I'm angry I'm like I will exalt you will exalt you will exalt you oh lord our god I will exalt you and I start singing and my heart starts changing the atmosphere in the car starts changing and I'm just now I'm like just singing at the top of my lungs I will exalt you and Des is singing in perfect harmony along <laughs> with me because we're weird like that and we're just like singing but here's what happened praise changed the atmosphere in the vehicle <laughs> In the midst of my, I wanted to stay angry. I'm literally driving going, I want to be angry right now, but I just can't stop singing this song. You're like, well, that's just the music. That's just the song. No, that's what happens when you lift up the name of Jesus. You invite him into a situation. He begins to change that atmosphere. He begins to change the expectation. You're like, no, that's just music and, and, and emotionalism. No, that's Jesus working on the broken part of me. Because in that moment, even though I wanted to stay mad, I invited him in by accident, and he took the invitation seriously. <laughs> Praise changes the atmosphere. Praise creates expectation in me that God can do something. 
because I'm saying, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I'm giving it to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I just start thanking Jesus when I, when I need something and, and I'm believing for something. I just start thanking Jesus before it ever happens. Because I know that he listens. His ears and his eyes are open and attentive to the, the prayers and supplications and petitions that are made in this place. So I know that when I give it to him and I take it off of me because I'm not made to carry it and I give it to him, that I can just start thanking him for it because he's already working on it behind the scenes. So I start praising him and it changes my expectation because the moment I take it off my plate and put it onto his, I'm like, oh, I know something's about to happen. You're trying to figure out how to make it happen. Jesus is like, I got you. Just give it to me. You're like, I'm not going to give it to you. How do I know that I can trust you? Um, I died for you. Praise, by the way, also sets the captive free. Sets the captive free. And in case you're trying to figure out who you are in the story, you are the captive. But you're captive to your own emotional struggle when you stay silent. You're captive to your own stronghold when you stay silent because you're, you're worried that if you give it even a breath of life that it's going to it's gonna become real. But no, what becomes real is when you speak it out and you put it in Jesus' hands, his deliverance becomes real. His breakthrough becomes real. When you take it off your plate and you put it on his, it becomes real. You're not giving it power by speaking it out. You're, you're taking away its power by ripping out the root of bitterness that's taking hold of your heart. Open your mouth, man. And now I'm talking to the dads and to the men. Open your mouth. They're like, I'm not a music guy. I don't care. Open your mouth. Mouth the words. Whisper the words. You don't have, I don't sing. Great, don't sing. Let what's happening on the inside not eat you alive. Give it to Jesus. Let him give life to you. You're like, I don't want to do that. It's fine. You don't have to want to do it, but try it once and see if that tool does the job. Yeah. See if that weapon does the job. Just try it once. You do that for anything else. You'll try it. I'll try anything once. Try Jesus once. Watch your life change. That's good. You weren't made to carry it. And you might even be in this room right now and you're like, wow, I am stuck and I am suffering because it feels like it's one thing after another, after another, after another. The only reason it feels like it's piling up is because you're letting it stay stuck in you. If you start to praise, you start to give it to Jesus. If you open your mouth, you start taking things off the pile. And then when one thing comes, you're like, oh, that's fine. Jesus is going to handle it. Take it off. Another thing comes. I can handle this. If you let it pile up, it's just going to crush you. Open your mouth, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I know God's got a great plan and a purpose for you, and I know that it's not a mistake that you were listening to this message today. So if you want to reach out, if you need somebody to talk to, feel free to send us an email, hello at engagechurch.ca. If you want to learn more about our church, you want to come check us out live and in person uh, for the real deal, then get all the information online at engagechurch.ca. I'm Brett. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running or you're at the gym right now, you got this. Go get it. Thank you.